Today on our podcast, my first concert with the Daver. Did you ever see the Dancing in the Dark video that Bruce Springsteen recorded at the St. Paul Civic Center back in 1984? Well, today's guest, John Maher, was there. But there's an inside story to this that's fascinating. They didn't do it once or just twice that you may have seen if you were at that concert. They did it 18 more times. What? John Maher was there. He is now vice president of brand and broadcast and production with the Minnesota Wild. But he's been a longtime concert goer and a huge Springsteen fan. He gives us the inside on today's podcast, My First Concert with the Daver. Welcome to My First Concert with uh, the Daver, as they used to call me back in the day when I was attending concerts as a very irresponsible young man. This is a podcast remembering your first concerts, your experiences, and we want you to share those with other listeners like we're going to do on this program with a number of guests. But you all seem to remember significant events in your life, right? Certain things happened, you knew where you were. Oh, yeah, I was there. I was doing this, doing that. It's strange, but in the for those of us who like music, that's the same thing with concerts. We tend to remember the very first one we were at, and of course many after that. But it could have been uh, the fact that you were dating someone, or you were with your buddies, or you went maybe with your parents, whatever it is. Uh, but we encourage those memories and an opportunity to join us on a future podcast. But I'm bringing a lot of people I know on this show, people that have great concert experiences and great memories of it. And one of them, and we teased it at the opening a little bit, what was going to happen here, uh, is a guy named John Maher. And I've known John for a long time. Folks that know the Minnesota Wild know John's a VP over there. By the way, I also want to bring in Breanne. She's our producer. She's responsible for a lot of this. Breanne, uh, we're looking forward to this conversation today. Oh, I'm certainly looking forward to it. I'm a huge boss fan. Yeah, and this will focus on Bruce Springsteen. John, welcome to the show. Great to have you. Uh, I'm so excited to be here. Thanks for asking to have, have me on. You and I have talked music in the past when we bumped into each other at a few games and a, a number of events. John, let me go back before we talk about, and you have a fascinating story to me and to many others, I think, about Springsteen and a St. Paul Civic appearance. But your first concert, what was it? Well, actually, I was really lucky because when I was 16 years old, I grew up in Bloomington, and I went to a few North Star games as a kid. And the year that I was, uh, you know, 15, 16, I probably spent a lot of my money that I had made as a caddy. That was my first job, going to North Stars games. And in the summer of 77, I read a, a posting about, hey, be, you can be an usher at Met Center. And I thought, well, they can pay me to be at the North Stars games. So I'm like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to try to get that job. So I, I got a job as an usher at Met Center, summer of 77. And my first event that I worked as an usher, so this doesn't really count as like I, I paid my own money to go to a concert, but I didn't have to because uh, uh, I was working. And the first show that I, was, I got to see or be a part of was Waylon and Willie oh. at, the, at the Met Center summer of – July of 77. God, they were red hot then. Oh, it was, it was a huge deal. And I wasn't a big, like, I wasn't too aware, like, I'm not a big country music fan. But, yeah, it was uh, it was uh, raucous, I would say, would wow. be a good word to describe it. Man, I think next door, that was probably the same year Rod Crew was going for 400 at a batting average. That's right. Yeah, 77 was a great Twins year, too, as well. So, um, and you made me think of the Met Center, which was a great facility. Do you remember, John, when they tried to uh, demolish that? They tried to blow it up and it wouldn't go down? 
I do because uh, a number of us former employees of the North Stars rented a room at the Registry Hotel. If you remember, it was yes. across the east parking lot from the building where we could view it sort of as a, almost like a, I don't know, a wake or something like that for those of us that had been at the North Stars for a long time. And uh, after the dust settled, it was like, did it go down? It really didn't. <laughs> it didn't really go down. It didn't go down at all. Yep. Yeah, that was, a, that was a great venue. The problem with that Met Center, and I remember going to North Star games too, and I think I remembered where I parked until I got outside, and the whole building on around looked the same, and that was that vast parking lot out there, and I would yes. get lost. Oh, did I park in this side? Wait, I parked in this side. And you didn't have the advantage of pressing your key fob here in your horn. Right. And then you could do it. It was like a sea of cars when it was a big event. Or uh, there were events, too, where the Twins would have a game. You know, if the, when the Wild got in the playoffs some spring times, the Twins would be playing at the same time. And then, yeah, good luck. Yeah. Know? I stood in line at a North Star playoff game against the Blackhawks. We missed almost the entire first period at Will Call. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Kept trying to look down the aisle to see if we could see the ice. Yes. Uh, John, uh, let's talk about, so the, the, you talk about your very first concert, very first events, but you are a huge Springsteen fan. Yes. And one of the things that intrigues me, and we had Eric on the show here the last week talking about he was at the show when Bruce did the show or did the Dancing in the Dark song twice. Right. And they did not have a clue what was going on out in the audience Oh, they're going to redo the song. This is weird. <laughs> and, and I assume it's Brian De Palma probably trying to set up different views. But yes. take us through that because you have a whole different look at what actually happened. Yes. One of the benefits of being an usher at Met Center at that time was, in addition to being able to see a lot of shows, which I did, uh, but the sec another security company that we worked with uh, was uh, run by a local guy named Tom Azzoni. And Tom at... Some event that I was working at Met Center prior to these Springsteen shows coming up kind of approached me, you know, quietly and gave me a, a little nudge and said, hey, I think I remember that you're a Springsteen fan. I said, yeah, big time Springsteen fan. And he's like, are you going to be going to those shows at the Civic Center? Oh, yeah, I'll be there. Uh, he slips me his business card and he says, bring my card to gate whatever at the Civic Center on it was the day before the first show of the tour that, that uh, Eric would have gone to. Was, was that 84? Thursday, June 28th, 1984 to be exact. And, uh, and, so, and Tom said, yeah, come that day before, be there at 1 o'clock, show my card, and you'll get in. And uh, Just a business card. Yep, Tom's business card. And he wrote, you know, kind of the, the info on it that I needed. And uh, I still have that card, by the way, because it, it – Turned out to be a pretty good deal. So we showed up there. There was about 200 of us local fans and then some not local folks, which we'll talk about. And what happened that afternoon was that Bruce Springsteen and the E Street Band kind of did the video shoot for Dancing in the Dark to kind of get the close-up shots where they weren't going to be able to have cameras the next night at the concert because there would have been 18,000 people in the building and you wouldn't have gotten the locations that you wanted. So we, that group of us, a couple hundred people, were in the Civic Center for about four or five hours that day while they kept moving us around to be in the background of different shots while they moved their cameras around to have some activity going behind the stage in the shot. Like being on a movie set. And yeah, and Brian De Palma was the director of the, of the shoot, and um, they, we probably heard Dancing in the Dark about 20 times. <laughs> 
<laughs> that afternoon. Played by the band? Yes. <laughs> and, um, and they also, uh, at the end of the day, as sort of a thank you to the group of us, did a little kind of a mini show as well with the Detroit medley, which typically was a encore uh, piece that they would do. Uh, they did that little mini concert for us. So in addition, then the next night they did do the play dancing in the dark twice. And again, you're right. It was all about, you know, what the director needed to get and he must not have got it in the first take. So they played it again so they could get the imagery, the, the, the shots that they wanted. So that was a, a memorable, and then they played two more nights. They were opening the Born in the USA tour. They played that third, that Friday night opening show, and then they took Saturday off. They played Sunday and Monday. So St. Paul was the epicenter of the Bruce fandom uh, at the start of the Born in the USA tour, which was, you know, two years, huge, gigantic, worldwide stadium shows. You know, it got to be, that was when Springsteen really blew up. Yeah, cover of magazines. Yeah. Was Courtney Cox there? Yes, so interestingly enough, and to the frustration of some of the local female fans who had gotten an invite like I had, um, it was already predetermined who was going to get to go up on stage and dance with Bruce. People who have been to Bruce shows since then have seen, you know, I think he still does it every night when they play Dancing in the Dark. There's always a dance partner that gets selected from the crowd, right? And so this was the beginning of that. And for the very first night, Courtney Cox had been sort of pre-selected, went through some auditions or something, and was kind of planted right there in row one, center stage. Unknown actress at the time. A totally unknown, yeah. yeah. Way before Friends. And there were actually two other gals with her that apparently uh, weren't ever intended. It wasn't like going to be Bruce was going to pick which one. It was all, always going to be predetermined that she was the one. But that, like I said, was much to the chagrin of the local female fans who <laughs> wanted that opportunity as well, but didn't get it. So obviously Bruce knew well ahead of time that. Yep. Seen a dance with her already then. Absolutely. Yeah. So on the, when it got to the concert nights, uh, you know, picking her out of the crowd, it was all prearranged. Well, yeah, cause they looked relaxed. It didn't seem like, although she gives a good look, her eyes light up. Oh, right on. You know, when she sees that he's going to pick her and. Yep. I mean, I remember watching a video. I had no clue. I thought, this is the coolest thing. But when I saw the video, I had no idea it was in St. Paul. Right. Yep. Initially. Yeah. I think most of the shots are pretty tight because they had shot them that day before. Yeah. And there's a there's a wide shot at the end where you, if you know what the Civic Center looked like, you can kind of recognize it from that last wide shot that they do at the very end of the video. But otherwise, pretty pretty tight shots. When they did the mini concert, was it – was Everything turned on, amplifier, speakers, everything, or was it kind of almost acoustic? No, it was it was it was electric, and it probably was you know turned up for 250 people in a in a room that yeah. housed that can hold 18,000. And uh, but it was just so so that business card that I mentioned earlier. Yeah. Uh, during the breaks, so there were long breaks in the day where they we would have kind of been staged in a certain area, and they play the song a couple times, and then. They break everything down, and the cameras are moving, and the lighting is moving, and we all were just kind of that was stand-around time. So during one of those periods of time, Bruce came right up into our group and just hung out, talked with the fans. And so that business card, which I still have, not only has the directions to when to enter and uh, where to show up, but now 
also has Bruce Springsteen's autograph on the back of it. Yeah, and readable. Yes. Yeah, pretty recognizable for yep. those of us that have seen, you know, set lists and other things that Bruce's uh, name went on to. But uh, that's definitely a keepsake. That business card turned into uh, pretty amazing. That's awesome. John, when the, at the concert itself, now when you had the concert, the real one, where did you end up sitting? Uh, that first night, I was kind of on the side of the stage about, I want to say, three quarters of the way up. So if you remember the Civic Center, it had sort of a, a aisle maybe the that separated the lower level from the upper level. So we were probably about six rows down from that center, you know, top aisle, headed down toward the lower on the side of the stage. Probably the best seat that I had had for a Bruce show up till then because I had seen Bruce at uh, – the Civic Center in 80 and 81 and been quite far away. <laughs> and then we, we saw him in Chicago another time when we were actually behind the stage at the Rosemount Horizon, which I think is called something else now. But, um, yeah, in those days, and there weren't, you know, the big video screens and that sort no. of thing back in those days. So I remember the first Bruce show that I ever went to was at the Civic Center in October of 80. And we, as I said, we were quite far away. And so you didn't really get the sense for – um, the yeah, fierce energy, you know, that when you see Bruce now and you can see the giant screen and, and really everybody in the band, you know, that what they bring to the show and you, when you can see it up close is so, the energy is amazing. It's funny you mention that because I feel when I go to a concert and I go to a lot, I have in the past, is I find myself looking at the big screen and then I feel guilty. I said, wait a minute. You know, this isn't how we started out going to these concerts. I should look at the stage. Then look at stage for Vince and I'm missing everything. Back up on the big screen. But you almost feel it's it's almost there's a guilt there. Like, I shouldn't be looking at that big screen. Don't you think, Brian? Well, it's like, did I come here to watch a movie? Yeah. Or did I come yeah. to see a performance? But as my eyes start to fail me and I my prescription keeps going up and up <laughs> and I don't really want to be binoculars to concerts like I used to as a kid with my dad. I try as much as I can to look right at the stage, get, get that kind of a ephemeral kind of moment with the, with the band. And there are certain bands, uh, ACDC, for example, if you go to their show, you have to look at the screens because the cool thing about, and I think they're a great in concert band. One of my all time favorite shows is with ACDC, but the big screen has got something <laughs> completely different than what they're doing on stage or, you know, uh, uh, whatever the kind of props they have coming in there. And I know they use some of them uh, a few times, or at least the shows I've been to, I've seen them a few times. But I'm going, boy, i got to look at the screen on this one because there's going to be something on there that's just a little, you know, they're doing something else on stage. The visuals keep getting more and more engaging. So I am with you that I have a harder time looking away because yeah. something else is going on. And it's, it's really cool to look at it. I would say in the last probably five, ten years or so, it's just, completely taken off and every every concert i keep going to i become more and more impressed with the visual representation oh, yeah. that they have going on yeah so, thank goodness we'll but see. yeah but i do feel like i need to go to confession just to say hey i Same. looked at the video screen I probably, <laughs> probably shouldn't have done that out of all the springsteen concerts you've seen i'm not going to ask you a favorite because that's maybe almost unfair but among those that stand out is there anything that stands out to you any moments from your years as a follower and, a, and you traveled as you said and have been the places to see him play? Well, I, I think that I went. I got to go to the very last show of the reunion tour, which was at Shea Stadium. Oh man! In uh, October of two thousand four, I think maybe maybe October of two thousand three, and we were we were in the upper deck behind what would have been home plate at Shea, and the stadium the sits the stage was out in center field, 
So we were quite far away. But it's memorable just because it was uh, it was the last show of that tour. You know, there was a whole new audience that Bruce had brought in with the reu- with the um, not the reunion tour. It was the uh, the rising tour. Sorry. Sure. And there's a whole new audience that came in with the rising tour because yes. of what the context of that music right. was about. Yep. And this was that. in New York City, the last show. Of all places, yeah. And uh, I remember an encore that featured Bob Dylan in that show. And it's just memorable. Dylan was there? Dylan came out and they did. I did not know that. Highway 61. And it was a, you know, uh, hardly recognizable version. <laughs> but, you know, people who have seen Dylan live know that yeah. his concert versions don't often recognize are not right. quite close, but uh, but it was just memorable to be, you know, Shea Stadium with 50,000 people, that New York connection to the rising music. That that one is, you know, among... Spiritual almost. Yeah. And I would say every show for me is like that. It's like church. I'm, I'm, I'm so... Uh, one of the things I really like about Bruce shows that I always look forward to doing is when they do Born to Run, they usually put the house lights up. And I love to look around at everyone and how they are celebrating that song because it's like, you know, I said, it's kind of like church. Like we're all, we're all there for our own reasons. And there's just a moment that's so cool to watch how people are so affected by it and how they're so into it. You know, I was thinking about that the other day, the, when you think about the lyrics or a song that you like and the artist, obviously had their intention of what they meant. But the beauty of music and the beauty of going to concerts is for you, it might be a whole different perception. And I, I, that's, so all of a sudden you hear that song, you go, oh yeah, you know, that this is what it means to me. Or perhaps it was a time I was with this date or I was with my buddies or whoever. Maybe that's, that's the, you hear a song like that and you're going, oh God, it yes. just makes you feel good. That's it. It's everybody's personal yeah. take, which might be different than your own. But everybody does have that. It's it's so personal, and I just love that part of the shows where you you just can watch everybody having that moment. You know, I remember when McCartney came back on an 05 tour, 02 tour. I mean, he hadn't been out in a long time, and it was kind of a, everybody wanted to go see it, right? Yep. And I remember when they did that same thing, the house lights came up, and, pe- and he was, you know, I don't know if it was Let It Be or Hey Jude, what he was singing, and people are crying. Oh, yeah. You know, and of course I'm going, what are you crying for? <laughs> but, but I mean, I didn't do that. But I, I mean, it was, that's how emotional yes. it was. Yeah. That's if, a, I, if I remember right, it was at, at XL that, that time At XL, around. yeah. And uh, there was a lot of more Beatles, you know, they, he did the Wings stuff and he did, it was kind of the, all that mix, right? So, yep. and yeah, the Beatles stuff for people is just so. They were going nuts. Okay, so the Springsteen story. Yep. And it was at Target Center. Yes, and, and I was sitting on the I was sitting on the side, pretty good seats. We were sitting on the side, up up halfway up in the in the bleachers. There, the well, there are nicer seats and bleachers. And down on the floor, of course, were the lucky ones. Right, you're you're in the pit there. You're uh, you're down close, and there was a guy. He was in the second row, and he was kind of you know he was being a tad arrogant. Look at you know where I'm sitting. He was kind of you know Mr. Hip. He was it looking up at the you know where all the people are sitting, kind of rubbing it in. Look at me. I'm down the second floor, and I swear, and I gotta confirm this with Kevin someday. But when the show started, here comes Mikhail, big Kevin out, and he takes the front row in front of this guy. Kevin's six <laughs> ten, and everybody's going, you, "That guy deserves it." Oh God, but I yeah, I recall that. I think I remember that because they played. Uh, the reunion tour in 99, 
November of 99. Uh, it, it's called The Last Show of the Century because it, they, they had, uh, I think they continued into 2000 with the reunion tour, but they took a break for the holidays after that last show at Target Center. Mm-hmm. And um, I have a distinct memory of that because in the mid to late 90s time frame, we used to have a great um, little trick that we would do to get the best seats. And the trick was that usually when any show went on sale that was a Ticketmaster show, you could call any Ticketmaster office anywhere in the U.S. to get tickets. So we would call Charlotte, North Carolina, when it was a show for the Twin Cities, because the Twin Cities, you'd take forever to get in, but Charlotte had nothing, and you'd get right in. <laughs> so those shows you're talking about at Target Center for the 99 shows, I think the worst, there was two shows, I think the worst seats we had was like row 15 on the floor. And um, I was, there was no North Stars at that time. They had moved to Dallas. And so I, I was, I had done some events at Target Center and knew some of the folks there. And, um, wow. Uh, there was a gentleman that I knew at Target Center who worked in the, in their uh, crew. And after that show, when I came to my next event that I was working with him, we were in a meeting room getting ready, kind of prepping for the event. And he slid over across the table to me, a digital audio tape of that show. <laughs> that was a big deal at the yes, time. Hopefully the statute of limitations is up on <laughs> yeah, that. Yeah, I, yeah I, <laughs> I can't answer for that, but I, I hope it is as well, because you weren't the only one, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, well, there's bootlegs everywhere. But uh, So that that's, that is a memorable show, too, for me, just because of that. It's great talking about music, about concerts, about memories. You know what else it's great to talk about? Something that a lot of people are buzzing about, reducing carbon emissions. It's good for everyone. But how do we reduce emissions while also meeting our world's increasing energy needs? Using propane is an excellent way to reduce emissions while meeting energy needs today. Propane is a clean, non-toxic energy source that helps reduce carbon emissions right now. In fact, propane's carbon intensity score in Minnesota is only 80. Grid electricity in Minnesota, including wind and solar, has a much higher carbon intensity score of 136. Who knew that using propane was that much cleaner than electricity? Plus, the abundance of propane and growth of renewable propane means it can be used for generations to come. Millions of Americans rely on propane to heat their homes and businesses, fuel vehicles on road and off, and much more. Making propane the right energy right now. Find out more about what propane can do for you and the environment by going to propane.com. So, you know my buddy Jumpin' Jim Brunzel, Killer Bees oh, yeah. wrestlers? So, Jimmy, I'm doing a gopher game at the time, and we're playing Illinois. I remember it, and all of a sudden, you know, we had, the booth was pretty well protected. People didn't just come walk in the booth. They're doing the ball game. And all of a sudden, I, somebody's bumping my arm as, you know, trying to call play-by-play, and somebody hits me with something. And after the play's over, I turn around, and there's Jumpin' Jimmy in the, in the back door of the press box, and he's going... Look, you know, like he just, he handed me something. I want you to look at that when you get a chance. So I put thumbs up, and Jim, who's one of the great guys in the world, and he, he walks away. And we get to a break, and I look at it, and it's an autograph. Bruce had been there the night before, and he, he knows Bruce. And he had him sign a picture to Dave, the magic voice, Bruce Springsteen. And I still, you know, I don't have a lot of autographs, but that one is, yeah, that was. Uh, That's cool. Yeah, so. Yeah, Jim is a huge Bruce guy. Yeah, we'll have to have him on the show sometime. Yeah, he would be great. I'm sure he's got a lot of good stories. Yeah. Uh, uh, now, outside of a Springsteen concert, could you tell me what 
stands out for you in other shows? Anything that that? Uh... Mm, boy, um, well, we went to Lollapalooza in um, boy, Lollapalooza in about twenty eleven ish, twenty twelve in Chicago. Well done outdoor festival, by the way. I, I would say for uh, and um, we saw. Connor Oberst, I think he was kind of touring as an independent then. He didn't have, he wasn't in Bright Eyes. He wasn't in one of his other iterations. And then uh, on the same exact stage, so it's a festival style, so the Connor Oberst maybe would have played at five, and then Coldplay on the same stage right after. And that, and a, you know, July night in Chicago, that, that really doesn't get any better than that kind of six hour, six yep. straight hours of amazing stuff, you know, uh, I would say. Um, boy, there's, there's so many, I mean, I, I really get charged up to see new bands now, you know, and you and I were talking the other day about, yeah. uh, the war on drugs, one of my favorites and they are an incredible band live. Well, so here's the irony of that. And I was telling you this. So my, my buddy Jay calls me a big rush fan. We were talking Brianna, we were talking about Getty Lee in the, uh, in the last show, he, he calls me up and. I don't know when it was, November. He said, oh, war, you know, because I'd turn them on to war drugs. And he says, they're coming to, they're coming to town. we got to go see them. I'm getting tickets. We're going. I said, you're not going to believe this, but I said, I'll be in uh, Florida. And he says, you can't get back. I said, I'll be in Florida in February. I said, I really want to, but I said, I, I'm not, I won't be back. And all he did after the show was over is I get these texts. You're not going to believe how great war on drugs. Because I've never seen him in person. But you uh, reemphasized that that was an outstanding show. Yeah, unreal. I had never, I mean, I, I had never seen them live before. And it was at the Palace in St. Paul. Which Perfect is spot. A venue that I really like. And, uh, yeah, unbelievable. Really, you know, mind-blowing. Yeah. You know, which is, that, again, finding kind of those new bands to go see that will you know, still blow you away. That's great. Yeah, and it's kind of fun once in a while when you go to a show and you're really not expecting, or maybe you're a lukewarm fan. Yep. And you go to the show and you kind of shake your head and say, wow, that was, that was really, really good. Why, why haven't I, you know, why do I got this thing where I don't really like this band? But when you yeah. see them in person, it can change things a little bit. Brie, has that happened to you? Yeah, Kings of Leon. That was oh, my, yeah. where I'm kind of a diehard now. Yep. And I was a little bit more fair weather, and I saw them when they came to the Target Center, not the last time, but the time before last. And I was so impressed by them. Like, as musicians, they are so good. And just kind of the command of just what they're putting out with these live, you know, instruments. To the, and the crowd just loved it. And he even said, they kind of have a temperament of being um, a little difficult, I've heard. Yes, I've and, read that. Yep. And so I just remember him saying, goes, you know, this was a really great show. You guys are really into it. You're singing every song. And I really appreciate that. So just getting, you know, a com I always appreciate a compliment from someone who's a little bit more difficult than yep. an easy kind of person. So I, uh, I, I it was a great show. I yeah, can't say enough good brothers stuff Brothers in that it. band, right? They are. Yeah. Uh, they're, yeah. They, they, I, that's, uh, interesting how how uh, like you mentioned Bob Dylan and I've seen Bob Dylan Bob rarely speaks although I don't you often wonder and I'm a huge fan of his but don't you often wonder was Highway 61 revis revisited by, you know I mean was that inspired by Highway 61 in Minnesota yeah that's the question because Highway 61 here's my here's my you know here's my conspiracy theory <laughs> Highway 61 goes by Rolling Stone Minnesota right down by Winona and so then, you know, Rolling Stone, Highway 61, I start thinking, oh, I bet, I bet he knew exactly what he was <laughs> talking about. And he, I, you probably talked to him, and I says, oh, you're making all that up. And I, I am, but I, I kind of like that theory. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, anyway, I've digressed. John, great seeing you as always. You too. Thank you But so thanks much. for sharing those stories. I don't know how many people know about those rehearsals before the Dancing in the Dark video. 
Yeah, it was, uh, again, it was um, kind of one of those on the down low, but uh, I guess now, you know, t- talking about statute of limitations, I think there's yeah. a lot of things we can reveal now <laughs> that uh, so. maybe at the time we're... If we see the video, are you in it at all? I'm not. I always, you know, when it first came out, all of us kind of gathered around our TVs to be like, just hopefully catch a glimpse of ourselves, you know? And I wore some outrageous... Um, <laughs> Uh, thing to ensure that if I was on, it'd be like, that's him. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I'd never see it. So I uh, don't think so much, but I do have a very good friend who, so when we got there that day, they said, Hey, anybody who's going to have seats on the concert night in the, in this area, right in front of the stage, you need to be here today while we do those shots too. So uh, my good buddy, Dave is, is right next to Courtney Cox. Oh, really? The shot. So if you watch the dance in the dark video, go to YouTube right now and watch it. Uh, Dave is in a white T-shirt. He's got blonde hair, and he's right in the middle of all the action. <laughs> what a great legacy. Yes. John, great having you here. I really appreciate you sharing this uh, story with us. Thanks and for these, having me. These stories, oh, no, it's great. It's it's just great to hear this, and it's uh, one of the things that we want our listeners to get an opportunity. I know there's some wonderful stories out there, like John had, like Eric had last weekend. There's a lot of them, and if you want to share them with us, We'll be able to do that for you. You'll see that on the website here. But uh, if you get a chance, uh, pass it along. Maybe we'll get you on the show. That would be a kick. In the meantime, Brianne, um, I don't know what you knew about. I thought I knew a lot about Springsteen as a fan. I had no idea this whole thing had happened. I can't believe that. I just think it's so cool that Dancing in the Dark is such a cu- cultural kind of touchstone for everyone. Everyone like. I think everyone likes it. I love the song. I love the video. Everything that it kind of means to American kind of modern culture. You have such a different kind of more personal connection that I think, I hope you don't take it for granted ever because what oh, a no. great, what a great oh, no. kind of extra layer that you get to go on something yes. with that. So I think that is what a, an amazing story. Thank you for telling it. Thank you. And you've kept your tickets through the years. I've kept uh, as many concert tickets as I can uh, through the years. I have every one. In fact, I gave my wife a hard time because she just threw away the first concert I ever took to her. And you don't get them to. anymore. You don't yeah, get it on right. your phone. I do. I miss. Phone. I miss that a lot about it. Here's a trick: if you wanna, if you want, you can go to the box office and just tell them that your phone isn't working, and could <laughs> they please print your tickets? And that's worked for me a couple times. So souvenir. Yeah, I gotta believe that's gonna be a collector's item. Yeah. As well. Yeah. So we went to see. I took her to <laughs> when we were just dating. I took her to see uh, Edgar and Johnny Winter. <laughs> oh, yeah. They were the headliners, and the opening band was Blue Oyster Cult. Wow. So I'd kind of forgotten about the opening band, but I remember Edgar and Johnny together was, wow, you know, the Winter Brothers together. And, it, you know, I think Frankenstein was big at that time, but Johnny had some great songs. Anyway. One of my, uh, one of my song, uh, events that I remember big time from Met Center ushering days was Black Sabbath and Blue Oyster Cult together <laughs> at the Met Center. And during Black Sabbath, there was a, it was midsummer, there was a gigantic thunderstorm. And I remember being up in the lobby on the north side of the building, and a lightning bolt hit. Remember there used to be a Marriott Hotel right across the street from the Met Center? Or maybe you don't yeah. remember that. Mm-hmm. On the north I side. Do. Yep. Lightning bolt hit over there and knocked out the hotel power. And we were just waiting for what it was going to be like in the middle of Black Sabbath's performance <laughs> when the lights would go out, which never happened, thank <laughs> goodness. <laughs> like a destiny sort of thing. <laughs> yes. These guys are going to get it. Yep. When you 2 was here at... Um, at the Gopher football stadium and off to the West, you could see lightning and you could, well, if the band wasn't playing, you could hear the thunder 
and it, we could see it coming your way. And I happened to be on that upper deck, open air, obviously. And I we saw it coming and coming, and it was a deluge. It was, oh man, yeah, we uh, got Court drenched. Jackson Brown, I guess we got drenched. Yep. Yeah, but it but it was fun, and you too. They stayed out there, and I don't know how smart that was with lightning coming down, but that's rock and roll fans, man. You're just devoted. John, great seeing you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks, folks, for uh, listening to uh, the podcast here today. And, again, this is the Talk North Podcast Network.